This podcast should not be considered as medical advice. If you are looking for medical advice, contact a licensed professional, but do find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. The FDA receives 45% of its annual budget from the pharmaceutical industry. The World Health Organization gets roughly 50% of its budget from private sources, including Bill Gates and Big Pharma. The CDC is a vaccine company. It owns 56 vaccine patents and buys and distributes $4.6 billion in vaccines annually through the Vaccines for Children program. That's not a science. That's a business. Fabiola. Hey, Leo. Well, we are back from our slight hiatus there. Mm-hmm. Sorry and about that, guys. I know you missed us terribly. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was... Um, it's weird. It's like there's a malaise in the air, you know? Mm-hmm. There's just kind of a... Uh, 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 a weight, you know, just kind of getting back into this and, um, you know, it's a little daunting. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, it feels like the older we get, the harder it is to get back on track <laughs> after needing some time off to take care of ourselves. You know, life sometimes got to stop. I feel like the body always wins. I mean, you can keep tracking through but eventually when your body's ready to stop it's gonna get you to stop well we just had a friend of ours uh message me and and was saying you know you guys have been really quiet on the uh the telegram group you know mm-hmm. and i said yeah we have oh, been good quiet. plug for the telegram good group. plug for the telegram <laughs> make sure to join us at our telegram channel uh which is at the collective resistance podcast uh, please join the conversation there. We try to extend uh, whatever topics we're touching on here in the episodes uh, through additional discussion there. So we'd love to have you. It's a fantastic group of fantastic individuals that have so much wisdom to share. So it's totally worth it. Yeah. So uh, so what's been going on? Well, I wanted to uh, go back to basics a little bit this episode, right? Because... Um, there's some drama at our school, continues our kids' schools, you know, where they, I don't know, they just want, they are for collectivism and they are for wanting to control everybody. Well, I mean, I think that, that uh, honestly, I mean, I, I, I cannot describe it in any other way other than that they just seem like they want to have the responsibility of everyone's health. You know, it's like the fact that we come together as a community means that the school has to check all these boxes, um, you know, in order to keep everyone safe. It's like a little mini uh, government, you know, and and uh, it's very frustrating because, uh, uh, you know, they're not qualified to make these decisions, you know, mm-hmm. the people who are on the board, you know, they're all nice, I would say, well-intentioned people, but, um, you know, it, it's just like they've gotten wrapped up in the drama of all of this. And it's like, they feel like they have to, uh, do something. I mean, if there was, if there was a slogan to put on a t-shirt, it would be do something, you know, in, in, in quotes, mm-hmm. you know, it, they don't really understand the efficacy or the, the ramifications. It, yeah. Even though they say that they understand the science and other people don't understand the science. And we know it's not about the science. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, I think, uh, one of the, uh, the gentlemen I communicate with a little bit, you know, he, he was saying, look, you know, here's the reality. 
they are of the opinion that they need to keep people from getting COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, what, whatever that keeping means. Keeping people from getting sick. Yeah, keeping people from getting sick because the the sim- symptomology. Which is impossible. <laughs> I mean, people God, this get is a sick. School. That's our body. You know, it's the detoxification mechanism of our body. And it's there for a reason to protect us, you know, and to uh, help us digest the environment that we're in with all the toxins, you know, with the stresses of life. Well, here we are mid November, mm-hmm. which it's fall. It's fall. We're it's in, time to detox. Getting cold. <laughs> it's it's just going into that season, right? Where where you you people show a lot of symptomology, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we're just tipping off on that. And they're already going crazy, you know, quar- quarantining classes, shutting down classes. Um, you know, luckily for us, we haven't had that happen in the two classes that that our kids are participating in. But it's, um, it's happening all around. It's happening in the grades just below the grade, you know, uh, just above. It's, um, it's like trying to control something you can't control. You yeah. can't control people's bodies. And I think that's the ultimate goal. I mean, and, and I just of, don't, I don't, but, but here's the thing that, that, that is really difficult too is, is, uh, well, what do you believe about these kids? Even if, again, using air quotes, if they're to get sick, I mean, Kids don't die from this. Mm-hmm. They don't. Okay, this is this is a cold at worst for mm-hmm. them. Uh, at 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 best, they have zero symptomology. You know, and then we have t- we have parents um, who are testing their kids for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. It's just nuts. You know. Yeah. So we want to talk about the testing again. That's why we're going back to basics, and we're going to back going back to our favorite, Doctor Cowan. He's again talking about the testing. He dumbs it down. Easy to understand why the testing is so detrimental to society, to individuals. The te- why the testing doesn't work. It wasn't designed to do what people are using it for. And so let's play that and then we can talk about Or are about you going to cue that up it. there? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Do you have it uh, set up there? I do. Okay. Go ahead. Boy. So I thought it might help to go over once again exactly what is the problem with these tests uh, so that we clear this up once and for all because um, you need to know what is actually being tested for before you get a test and why just the process of getting a test will make healing from whatever is ailing you more difficult. It is not a benign thing to get a COVID test. It is a destructive, um, corrosive step in your uh, whole ability to heal. So why is that? So let's talk about tests first. There's basically three kinds of COVID tests. There's the PCR test. There's the test for so-called COVID antigens. An antigen, it refers to a protein that stimulates an antibody response and a COVID antigen test uh, refers to the fact that they're taking a protein uh, from the alleged COVID uh, virus, in other words, SARS-CoV-2, and testing for the presence of that protein. That's what an antigen test is. And then the third test is an antibody test which tests for a different kind of protein, which is allegedly made in response to the exposure to an antigen of the virus. In other words, a piece of the virus or the whole virus. So you make antibodies against a certain protein, i.e. the spike protein or some other protein of the virus, the antigenic part of the virus, 
you make a antibody against it, and that means you had the infection. Now, in order for any one of these three tests to be a valid test, it has to meet all three of the following criteria. Number one, the piece, so every one of them is talking about, they're not testing for a virus. We should be very clear about that. They're testing for a piece in a PCR, they're testing for a piece of genetic material. In a antigen test, they're, they're testing for a protein piece, uh, piece of the virus. And an antibody is a antibody that you make a protein against a piece of the virus. So criteria number one for this to be a valid test is we've had to have proven that that piece, whether it's a piece of genetic material, it's a piece of a protein or an antibody directed against the protein came from that virus. Obviously, because if the, if the piece did not come from the virus, then there's no way it could be a test for that virus. The second criteria that needs to be met is we have to have proven, somebody has to have proven that that piece of genetic material or protein or antibody against a protein is against a piece of the virus that is unique to that virus. And if it isn't unique to that virus, then there's no way of saying it's a test for that virus. And the third criteria is we need to know the error rate of the test. In other words, the false positive and false negative rate of the test. If you don't know the error rate, it's not a valid test because there's no way then to know whether it's true or not. So let's go through these in order. Number one, you have to have proven that that piece came from SARS-CoV-2. Now, everybody who's been following me and is listening to this, I hope will know that SARS-CoV-2 has never been found, never been isolated, never been purified, there is simply no way to know that that piece came from that virus, period. Therefore, since it doesn't meet the three criteria, it is an invalid test, period. Number two, you have to show that that piece of genetic material or that piece of the protein is unique to that virus. So again, for the same reason, we nobody has ever isolated, purified, or characterized an actual SARS-CoV-2. Therefore, there's no way to know that that piece came from that virus. And in fact, with this one, as I've been over many times, we know that, for instance, the genetic sequence that they're testing for has been found in at least 93 different parts of the human genome and over 90 part, uh, different microbes, fungus and bacteria. Therefore, we know without any doubt that they're not testing for anything unique to SARS-CoV-2, which doesn't exist. So. Even if it did exist, it's still not unique to that virus. Therefore, the test is invalid. No, you cut that clip off, or I did because there was the third. He was going to talk about the third criteria, which is the error rate, and he was comparing it to basically, you know, pregnancy tests and. So the test is also invalid because you have to establish 
an error rate, which means, okay, what is the false positives? What is the rate of false positives? What is the rate of false negatives? And in this case, you can't, you don't have an error rate because now you're talking about asymptomatic um, individuals, right? So now disease in the past, how did you define a disease? Was through symptoms, but now magically for COVID, you don't need symptoms. So you can be asymptomatic carrier because you had a positive test but how do you know you had a positive or a negative test when <laughs> you're saying you have no symptoms you could be positive there's no way there's no control to be able to establish an error rate like you can with a pregnancy test so again when you hear people say oh yeah no big deal go get a test like we've been told by our school well you can go get tested or you can come back to school we're like well the test doesn't tell you you're sick and the test has no control so how is this test valid and why do we have to submit ourselves you know stick something up my kid's nose when the test doesn't really tell you anything so that's as he just went through that. We'll share, of course, this this uh, uh, clip in the show notes so you guys can hear again <laughs> what Cowan has to say. But interestingly, interestingly enough, um, we saw somebody posted actually in our Telegram group um, a letter that was submitted by ICANN, so the Informed Consent Action Network submitted a letter to. Um, the health, I'll tell you here. Health and Human Services. Yes, I gotta find the letter because I just thought it was kind of hilarious. But anyways, we've known there has been these FOIA requests that have been submitted all over the world asking for a, sam a purified sample of this virus or anywhere. Does this virus exist anywhere and people have been coming back empty-handed right we don't have as Calvin said we don't have a purified um, sample sample and so I can through its lawyers had asked for the following documents reflecting any documented case of an individual who number one never received a COVID-19 vaccine Two, what and two was infected with COVID 19 once, recovered, and then later became infected again. And three, transmitted SARS CoV 2 to another person when reinfected. And the answer from the Department of Health and Human Services was a search of our records fail to review any documents pertaining to your request. The CDC Emergency Operations Center, EOC, convey that this information is not collected. So they want you to go ahead and inject yourself with whatever vaccine. They say, basically, even if you had COVID, go ahead and get the vaccine. Um, and so here is I can ask them, okay, prove it to us that um, people, you know, that had, let's say they had COVID. Now we can even establish what, what, what COVID is. We had, had actually had people ask us this week, did you, do you think we had COVID? You had COVID? Well, like, what is even COVID? Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about is the disease you get from a virus. And you have the virus in you, and, but then you don't have samples of this virus. You don't have a valid test. So, I mean, how do you know it's COVID? What is COVID? What is COVID, Leo? Yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> but, you know, and, and if we, if we um, it's, it's just, it's actually even frustrating to talk about. You know, it's frustrating because it's it, it's like um, yeah you, you we, I was tempted 
you know, like to take the antibody test. But then at the same time, I knew that the what? tests are just shitty, you know? <laughs> no, 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 because I wanted to be able to go around and just go, look, I'm na- I have natural immunity, yeah, right? Just and leave I me alone. that's also the big problem with I can. You know, they were trying to get um, information from, you know, the CDC or wherever. What about people with natural immunity? How do we know that we have natural immunity to something that we've never seen? Yeah. And we can establish that it exists. So so it seems like we're setting ourselves up for, for failure, even there. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally appreciate their efforts, you know. And I've had several people tell me, yeah, we're not getting vaccinated because we've had it, which is great. Oh, great that you had it. But how do you yeah, know, how do you know that you had it? You had it? <laughs> so, so that's the interesting well, conundrum that we're in. And then... On top of that, I had someone else ask me, so tell me again, um, do you believe that people that get the vaccine are more susceptible to COVID? And I'm like, okay, that's a fair question, but we don't know what COVID is. So how do we even answer that question? I mean, you're vaccinating yourself for something that nobody's ever seen. And then I feel like, okay, you get sick after your vaccine. Well, that's a natural response of your body. Well, there's two responses you can have. You cannot feel anything because the alleged jab is supposed to suppress your immunity so so that you show no symptoms. <laughs> so either you had no symptoms and your your detoxification mechanisms are now impaired and you can get rid of the poison. And actually, in the beginning of this, we talked about it's important to know what's in the ingredients of the vaccine so you know what you're injecting in yourself. And now we know a lot of those ingredients. I mean, the formulation has changed throughout this whole experimentation process, some of the ingredients were redacted. The trials actually were fraudulent because basically people were getting severe side effects and being dropped from the trials. And um, their side effects were being misconstrued. So a young lady that went through the trials, she was 12. She actually had paralysis. She's on a wheelchair now. And the uh, side effects that were reported on the trials were that she had a mild um, gastrointestinal distress. This poor girl can't walk anymore. She's in a feeding, she needs a feeding tube now. She has excruciating pain. And they basically are not paying for her medical H- bills anymore. How old anymore. did you say she was? 12. 12, oh, jeez. So uh, her um, medical treatments are not being paid anymore because she was injured right on the first shot. And her mother is trying to fight for this, you know, fight for this girl. And imagine her guilt. Oh, yeah, because you know it was not Because she was a believer. Yeah. Her mother was a believer. And we feel like parents. We, We go through the same. I mean, I still carry this guilt. With my oldest, you know, where I totally thought this was the best thing for him and it turned out that it wasn't. But here we are with fraud everywhere we look. And the only immunity that we have is from uh, the manufacturers. They're getting everything that they want. We heard uh, the whistleblowers on Project Veritas saying basically Pfizer is just running on COVID money now. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's just, it's 90% of their budget, probably, yeah. you know. Yeah. And now and now they have this uh, this antiviral drug coming yeah, out. Yeah, what is that you know, all about? It's just, it's just ridiculous. Look, we I mean, gotta look through that for sure. But anyways, we talked about COVID. We talked about symptoms. We talked about the agenda. So let's move forward a little bit more on what's behind this whole thing. I mean, we talked a little bit about the metaverse on our last episode, and we promised our listeners that we were going to get more into that. Yeah, we did want to introduce that idea. It is a um, it is a very in-depth idea. It's a little bit hard to get your arms around. Uh, there's so much content out there. And it's just so funny, you know, we started kind of digging into this uh 
I think uh, when we were coming back from uh, um, from our trip from our trip, yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, I was like, man, how do you boil this down? You know, where you can make it consumable because it's new this concept is i mean we knew something was up from the beginning but it keeps as we go down deeper into the rabbit hole and as we were talking about crypto and blockchain as it could be this great thing it could be freedom for humanity right if you guys start investing because we know we can't continue to print money the way that we're printing what is the alternative and so we are now in the face of um researching what are the alternatives so we think you know crypto is this great tool but at the same time when it comes to blockchain there's a really really dark side to it yeah i mean you know technologies um, if we really look back at technologies, uh, uh, you know, even, like even going as far back as uh, World War II, you know, you had IBM uh, developing the the census. Well, Is I mean, that what you're talking well, about? but they were developing the um, the barcoding system that mm-hmm. was used with uh, 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 prisoners for the um, Holocaust and everything mm-hmm. like that. You know, and that was a technology, and that was a technology that they actually utilized post-war. You know, in different mm-hmm. applications and whatnot. And then they really they built a a business around that. I mean, that kind of amazing to think that here's a technology that was used essentially to logistically track. Uh, human beings, you know, mm-hmm. as, as as cattle, uh, and that technology was then uh, used as they uh, went forward as a as a corporation, you know, servicing other corporations and uh, the market in general post war. Um, so, you know, what we want people to kind of take from this is is you know there are a lot of people who in the background are um, putting things in place. You know, they're they're uh, if we look at like the financial markets and whatnot, I mean, I think we can all agree there are is a lot that exists within the financial markets right now from a gambling mechanism that mm-hmm. we don't understand. You know, these are things that people that work within the financial institutions, you know, that are betting on bets, uh, on, that are betting on bets as well. You mm-hmm. know, we look at like the housing crisis and how that was, you know, packaged securities linked to uh, um uh, housing assets uh, and how that got leveraged many, 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 many times over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that all kind of came crumbling down. Well, I mean, that's really just the the tip of the iceberg. And what you're finding is that a lot of these uh, financial institutions and then the uh, overarching individuals that kind of um, mentor those markets are actually working with uh, uh, development shops to create the next ecosystems of gambling within the financial industry. Um, and so blockchain is a big piece of that. And although, and this is important, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but you know, blockchain is a technology, it's a distributed ledger, if you will. So, you know, instead of having like one server or even a small handful of servers that copy data from one to the next, I mean, we're talking about a a truly distributed network where, uh, uh, you know, a copy of the data exists in literally hundreds, if not thousands of nodes across the world. And, uh, you know, from a decentralized standpoint where no single organization owns any you know majority of those nodes, it's very empowering because mm-hmm. then you know okay you know if one individual who owns a node or even a small number of nodes you know goes rogue and tries to do something within that data set, you know the the other nodes there's going to be a copy somewhere. Yeah, else. the the other nodes keep it honest, mm-hmm. right? And so that's like an election, for example, somebody wants to tamper with the data in one space and switch whoever won the election in one place, that won't work. They have to make the information, you know, change on this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other computers uh, to to make it, to make the, the rig work. Yeah. 
but but the the, the the same thing that's true for what empowers technologies like cryptocurrency, which is really just what is called a use case. You know, it's one use case for the blockchain. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically in that case is that, you know, the, the, the token or coin that people are transacting with is using this decentralized ledger, you know, to track the transactions and approve or, you know, uh, essentially reject if it something doesn't sound seem like it's on the up and up and things of that nature. So uh, that's a fantastic use case. And it is quite empowering. Mm-hmm. But there are use cases that uh, not only in the cryptocurrency realm, where it is more centralized, right? So in the case of like the US government, who, you know, looks like, you know, they're developing their own, uh, uh, cryptocurrency, which is one that, you know, most likely the Federal Reserve would uh, uh, own the keys to, you know, so Mm -hmm. essentially, all of the nodes that do the, you know, I'm using air quotes right now, the error checking and and whatnot, and the, the, uh, the saving of the transaction ledger, you know, that it, it controls all of that. So mm-hmm. when you control all of the nodes, you know, if, if uh, someone acts up in any way, then they can go in and essentially turn off your account, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you have a, a wallet that, that exists on that particular chain, and then they control those nodes so they can make modifications to every node that says, don't pay any t- don't don't, don't pay attention to this yeah. person anymore. And, and it gets much more complicated than that because it, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, really, would a government go this far to just turn somebody <laughs> off? Well, I mean, I would probably say yes, but you know, it's actually much more nuanced than that as well because what they can do is actually you know, geo-target and say, okay, look, you know, maybe this individual can only transact in certain amounts of money in within a certain geofence, right? Mm-hmm. So they can only... Uh, uh, transact within maybe their city, their metropolitan area, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that limits them, you know, from travel from moving and, and moving around. And the freedom of movement is a big deal. I mean, we're already feeling a little bit of the brunt of that with mm-hmm. the uh, potential of a COVID passport, you know, keeping you from coming in and out of certain areas of the country or the world, uh, you know, based on your well, vaccination yeah, here status. Well, we are, basically, we're about, you know, 30 miles from the Canadian border, like we can't go 30 miles 31 miles north of where we are because of yeah th- the that, vaccine passport that is pretty interesting when you think about how many beautiful locations there yeah. are just to the north of us i mean yeah. literally a day trip yeah. away and we can't go we can't go because we can't get into the country um it's it's just let's why. say we wanted to drive to alaska can't do that <laughs> yeah you can only fly. Exactly. At least you can still fly. But we did want to introduce that idea. Um, so I, I am going to play a clip for you. Ironically, it is uh, uh, Dr. Cowan. Cowan. Again. Um, so let's uh, let's take a look at that. Uh, do you have your your hook? The, the the yeah. Pull that out, and I will uh, play this. Now this is a long clip, but um, we're interested in just kind of uh, introducing you to the idea of these technologies and how data is going to be used. Because I think when we touched on the metaverse in the last episode, you know, we were talking about virtual reality mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And I think a lot of people might have said, well, I mean, I'm not interested in virtual reality. I'm not going to be, you know, putting on virtual reality glasses. And it's much bigger than that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's a few different pieces to that. But I mean, uh, one piece certainly is, you know, you have uh, uh, kind of a, uh, a hacked consciousness, because I think you do have, you know, the younger generation is much more uh, uh, susceptible you know what I mean, to to uh, utilizing technologies like that for mm-hmm. entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. And then what, you know, these corporations and whatnot, what they do is they introduce these these uh, transactionary economies, you mm-hmm. know, in these ecosystems that they're utilizing. You know, we already see that with things like Roblox and, yeah. and, and other Minecraft games of, of this nature where, you know, there, there is this... Um, uh, currency that exists, you know, it's its own currency that exists yeah. within those ecosystems. And so, you know, the metaverse is the conglomeration of all of these. And if you can have these, um, 
uh, profiles yeah. that, that, that can then, you know, move from ecosystem to ecosystem and then transact, then it creates this whole, uh, you know, uh, multifaceted economy where you don't ever own anything tangible, but you are buying things uh, left and right with the dollars that you earn within these worlds. And um, just to give an example, we coming back from our trip, we do let our kids play with their tablets a little bit as you know, make the trip a little easier for everyone. And so our son was like, hey, look how cool this is. I can sell my DNA and they'll give me 200 roadblocks or what? Yeah, roadblocks. Ro- roadblocks. yeah. And we're like, what the heck? So they're already conditioning you to basically sell your DNA. Well, and, and I think it's it's interesting too because, you know, we had seen some stuff early on when we were doing Waldorf education where they were showing us how, you know, they were already conditioning children into, you know, using credit card swiping and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So, you know, that was kind of the the their first introduction into, you know, the existing economy, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, here they are, they, they haven't even had an experience necessarily with cash yet. Mm-hmm. And they're already, you know, understanding how to transact with Just the plastic swipe, card. Yeah. And, and now you've got this whole generation who has been brought up on devices and living in these worlds. I mean, we, we remember... You know, uh, when we would hang out with friends and a lot of their kids are just on on these worlds. I mean, they, they are next to each they, other, but they're playing in their devices. They, they, they would rather communicate like through the, the, the even though they're in the same room, yeah. you know, they would rather communicate uh, inside the the ecosystem that they're playing within and 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 again no judgment there but i mean i do mm-hmm. think we need to be because it is very enticing the screens are very enticing. it's intoxicating and whatnot so mm-hmm. but th- this clip i want to play is kind of the front end of a longer interview that uh dr cowan did with a woman by the name of allison mcdowell and allison is you know a mom a researcher uh, she got into this early on because uh, she was looking into school closures within her uh, region, which I think is the Philadelphia area. Um, and what she was noticing was this uh, setup, which wasn't necessarily just people dealing with the consequences of bad economics and tax law and things of that nature, that there was actually a gamification happening, you know, even in in our healthcare systems, in our schooling, our educational systems. And uh, anyway, what this intro is, is just kind of her talking about how she came to this. And I, and I won't tell you this is the end-all be-all clip. It's just, I can't think of any other way to just try to introduce this uh, particular topic. And then we're going to try to expand on individual components in other episodes, like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the financial market aspect and what they're doing with the data, how this does tie into this metaverse and the economies around that. So let's go ahead and and listen to this and and, and see if uh, we can kind of make heads or tails. Sounds good. All right, Allison. So, how did we, how did you get interested in this, and what's the game we're playing here? Okay, so I had an unlikely um, entry into the game. Essentially, it was around school closures in Philadelphia, where I live, and I realized that they were using test scores and standardized curriculum and test scores to close schools, which I thought was not fair. And at that time, I was just a naive person who thought if they just knew better, they would be better. <laughs> Not what, that the brokenness year? was an inherent part of the game. What, what year are we talking about? This is 2013. Well, okay, eight years ago. Or so. Yeah, so I started fighting standardized testing and eventually education technology in the schools. And then I realized, wait a minute, it's about data. It's about pr- creating profit off of people and their social relations, their relationship to the, the state, you know, whether your, your educational process. And it wasn't just about selling computers and selling software and selling cloud computing and selling consulting services, but that ultimately it was going to be about profiling people and packaging people as digital profiles. 
And so the testing was just one small, tiny corner that I nibbled into. And then this much bigger piece opened up. And then what I realized was that it wasn't simply about how we related to the state through education, but it was going to be how we would relate to the state through healthcare systems, right? How we would relate to the state through food assistance, how we would relate to the state through um, therapeutic or substance use issues or housing. And I live in a city that's very poor and it's surrounded by very affluent people um, and universities like Wharton Business School that are the kinds of people who like to make up these games. And I, I will point out, so Kevin Werbach is a professor at Wharton and his specialty is gamification and oh. blockchain. So um, yeah, so people can sort of look that up. He has an interesting series of things around called After the Digital Tornado. But so I know that there's powerful people and this is this going into the game, we have to understand that it's about power, not necessarily logic. People might say that doesn't make sense, but really raw power trumps everything. Like if you have a military, if you can buy the politicians, if you can buy the academics, you can make whatever game you want even if it makes no sense. So I just want to be clear because a lot of people say, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, if you're the people in charge, (laughs) it doesn't have to make sense. As long as all the other people at your level will agree to play the game, the game is on, right? Even if it doesn't make sense to normal people. And that's, I think I often, you know, so I'm talking about people and their relationship to the state as accessing services, you know, you're accessing your education, you're accessing a health benefit through Medicaid or Medicare, you're accessing SNAP, you know, food assistance or a housing voucher. And all well, of let me that- Let stop you there for a minute, yeah. just, just to clarify. And just, when I say, if I tell you what I think I'm hearing and if it, I don't get it right, I would, I okay. really want you to correct me. So you, we, one could think, <clears throat> testing students is a good idea because then you see if they're doing well or not. But what you're saying is the reason they tested students, or maybe not the reason, but one of the ramifications of testing students is to collect the data on the students to be used for other purposes. Correct. Yeah. And the same with healthcare data or food assistance. So these things which we think are, quote, good for people because they help poor people or help people get food became used in this game to essentially data mine human beings. Correct. And so policies have been put in place in all of these different sectors um, that are data-driven. They say data-driven, evidence-based policies. And I'm sort of doing air quotes here because that's the language that they use and that the data decides success. But what happens is, is when you package a social issue, meaning whether that's training the next generation to be contributing citizens or creating healthy people, when you define that as a data metric for the purposes of essentially it will become private investment, it becomes narrow. Right. So your health, the, it, the only thing they start to care about is your you know, body mass index or your blood glucose level or something that's measurable, like that's a quantifiable thing that you can do at scale for masses of people to run global investments. Is any one of those they may play into your health, but they're not a true picture of your health. Right. And that's the same with a test score. You know, is a child's third grade reading score a full evaluation of their educational quality? Absolutely not. Like, does it have some basis? Eh, maybe, but all these numbers can be gamed, really. <laughs> At least in education, they can be gamed. So you're taking them often out of context and you're using them for a purpose they were never intended for. Or they say they weren't intended for, but ultimately I think they were. They were yeah. always intended to run this game. So what, so what is the purpose that they're, or maybe it's too early to answer that question, but what? What's the purpose of using this data then? Okay, so there's a couple of layers of the game. Yeah, I may have jumped the gun a little bit. No, well, it's hard to figure out what to say first in the game. Like, you know, what are all the rules? So first, we have to look forward and not back because I think many people in the current moment are looking backwards at the things they knew and they haven't necessarily been listening to 
webinars from the World Bank or, you know, Oracle or people saying what they plan to do. They're not listening to the people who have the power to say, we're planning to do this. They're reading lots of academic papers about things that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago, that theory that they knew, but not they're not reading what the plan is. Yeah. And they're not meshing the two things. And I sort of am the bridge between that because I listen to what powerful people say and I believe them. Now that doesn't mean that everything I'm laying out here will definitely happen, right? right? I'm not saying it's all a done deal because people get really depressed, but I can give an intelligence briefing as to the headspace of these individuals so that we can better strategize because if we don't actually know what their plan is, they often will direct opposition in ways that actually enhance their end game. Yes. And we don't know because we're doing things that seem logical and they, they co-opt that's like a jujitsu move. You know, they, they co-opt that movement. And they say, thank you very much. You know, it's like Lucy in the football or something, yeah, you know, and we think we're winning. And then at the end they're like, psych, you know? And so I'm trying to say, I've looked a couple steps ahead and this is where it seems to go. So the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the world economic forum Davos crowd, they have been saying for over 10, 15 years, they imagine a future run by robots. Like, can they actually run a whole world on robots and avatars? I do not know. Like, will the earth sustain that many data centers and energy in the power grid? I don't know. But this is what they're imagining in their head is they see a world that's mostly run by robots where human labor, physical labor, um, knowledge labor, and social labor becomes largely redundant. And they call that the future of work. You'll hear them always talking about the future of work that we need to be more human, right? We somehow being more human is gonna save us in this future of work. But they're acknowledging that their plan is to dispossess vast numbers of humanity out of their current employment, not by their choice. It's not like we all got together and said, "Eh, we don't really like treating people in the doctor's office or we don't really like having kids in a school. We'd rather just the robots do it or do it on an iPad. Yeah, we haven't decided that, but the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the, the, you know, the Mark Benioff's, the Bill Gates, the Larry Ellison's, that's what they've decided behind the closed doors with the power players. So what do we do with all these? Well, let me give you an example and see if it, it's even something as simple as, as you get a cab and you go and there's this guy from the Sudan and you talk about what life is like and that's his job and he makes a good living and you get to talk to somebody and all that is going to, he's going to be replaced by a self-driving car. And then there's no more guy from Sudan to help you uh, figure out where to go or, or anything yeah. like that. And I mean, I think we can agree that maybe there are some lines of work that are not great. You know, like maybe there are some things that could be automated. Right. But like... You know, I've mentioned the Japan Science and Technology Agency. They're imagining by 2050 that we will essentially operate without the burden of a physical mind and body in time and space. <laughs> I mean, like that's literally like the matrix when you're like in the pod and like something's walking around out there that's not you. They're sort of imagining that, which would be sound crazy if it wasn't the Japanese government who was way into social robotics is already working with people with serious physical disabilities, living through robots, through remote control robots. They're piloting these things already and they're running, SoftBank is running the Saudi sovereign wealth fund money and they're moving out of oil into AI and robotics. So there are these pieces that while you might sound like, wow, 2050, like we're gonna like just be floating around as a thought cloud in some nanotechnology sphere. Do do I think that they can do it? I mean, I hope not, but I think we should take seriously that even if they don't accomplish that, that their plan is to like destroy the existing global economy in their efforts to make this happen. Right. And in this game. And that means destroying the global economy means getting rid of all the small businesses and all the mom and pop stores. Everything's consolidated. Yeah. So in this game, you know, it's like the Monopoly game, right? Everything gets consolidated. You know, the goal is to get the board, to claim as much of the board. And the challenge with many people in assessing this is there's like, oh, this is the U.S. versus China, or this is like geopolitics, which I'm not dismissing all of it, but really it's the elite class across all countries. And not just like sometimes it's sovereign wealth funds, like the Saudi sovereign wealth fund. It's the Vatican right? It's the Church of Latter-day Saints. It's Goldman Sachs. It's SoftBank. It's, you know, Alibaba. 
So it is these top tier players, the couple hundred, hundred times over billionaires that are controlling the board. And not that they don't have rivalry, but it's sort of like they have their own poker game. And like, we're the chips that they're tossing out, right? Like it's an invitation only poker game that they're in. And nobody really knows that they're in this back room, like smoking cigars over the poker game. And it's not like, surely they have rivalry amongst each other, but they have to actually get the game going. And so right now we're in the, let's get the game going stage, which is harnessing this whole global paradigm, which is why they needed a global health situation to start the game. All right. So that's part of a longer conversation, which we'll, we'll link to the overall interview, which is I think about an hour and 15 minutes or so, but, um, there's it's a two part actually oh yeah i guess it is a yeah larger conversation but it was basically the first time th- there was something she said about the game not having to make sense yeah so here we are wrecking our brains and trying to make sense of why none of this makes sense just to realize that these Power players, in air quotes, they're basically just all about the power and the gambling. And they come up with these ideas and they're like, let's throw them out there and let's see if it sticks. Well, and I think if we go back and we looked at like the housing crisis and you looked at how that was structured, Mm -hmm. you'd say the same thing. You were like, well, that makes no sense. Why, why, why would anybody double down on bad investments? You know, like all these bad buyers, you know, wrapped up. Who would buy that? You know what I mean? Who would invest in that? It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. And it's not that it needs to make sense. It's that it needs to be self-sustaining. Uh, and if enough people, and this is the funny thing, this, is, this goes for crypto, this goes for the U.S. dollar. What, what keeps things going is people's confidence, in them. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, that there are these underpinning skeletal frameworks, you know, that make them work. It's really a confidence game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the math can ev- eventually fall apart. And that's what happened with the housing crisis. And what we're seeing, you know, that that's coming out of this new economy that's being developed, you know, she mentions that, you know, a big piece of this, you know, we, we, we sit around here, and we talk about testing, and we talk about uh, uh, vaccine passports, and, mm-hmm. and and we're talking about health, but this is really a conversation around um, the fact that they want to blow up the economy, mm-hmm. and and it's actually a good thing for them to blow up the economy because it makes it more palatable to bring in these things that we're sitting here talking about, you know, becoming a a um, uh, a more avid consumer in the metaverse. And Mm. to most people that is a foreign concept, right? Maybe not our kids, but, Mm -hmm. but, but to most people like you and I, that's a foreign concept, but because of the implosion of the economy, the typical, you know, un, uh, uh, awake person, you know, will say, okay, well, look, well, this is one way I can, get something I was getting elsewhere through, it's a little bit different, but it's, it's, it's something that I, I don't have to be afraid of it because it can't make me sick. You know, that you, you, they create this paradigm where people want to go into these virtual worlds and mm-hmm. meet in these virtual spaces mm-hmm. because they are, they are not going to infect each other with the, diseases. And they are afraid of the natural world. And, you know, and she goes into that much more in depth in some of the other interviews that we've caught with her. And she talks about, you know, uh, you know, an, an important part of this is, is, continuing to separate the human from the natural world mm-hmm. and and or uh, you know there's that analog versus digital mm-hmm. and we definitely want want to expand that conversation what does the analog mean versus the digital and the convenience right because i think that's where it always gets us is the convenience what is it's easy. It's easy to go into the store, just wear your mask and go in and get what you need. It's just going to be for two minutes and then you get out. But then you 
you continue to perpetuate this division and the separation from each other and the separation from nature and doing a lot more within the machine, within this the synthetic reality. Well, and, and what she also talks about is uh, she she touched on it a little bit there, but didn't go super in depth. But um, you know, there's a lot of people who interact with the state uh, in many ways. You know, through programs and whatnot. You know, uh, assistance programs. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's uh, uh, housing assistance or or uh, uh, food assistance or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, uh, these these uh, financial groups are using data to essentially create kind of like an outcome map for these individuals. And so success is uh, denoted by where you end up in the program and being able, for them actually being able to gamble and to estimate that, okay, if we invest so much money per head, then the outcome will be such and such. And one of the points she's making there early on is that, you know, a lot of these data points that they're tracking are not overall uh, pictures of health, mm-hmm. you know, or they're not overall pictures of good education. They're just things that are measurable. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, the other piece to it, which again, she didn't, she didn't go into it here, but she's in other clips, we've heard her talk about it where, you know, when you are creating the rules for success, then you also uh, could create a specific market where you're looking for a specific outcome. And that outcome may be uh, uh, always living under state uh, sponsored assistance programs. You know, that might, may be the outcome mm-hmm. that, that, the, that the state is trying to engineer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of like the uh, big pharma, right? You know, we, we know that, that uh, you know, prior to COVID, they were making, you know, $50 billion a year on vaccination in the United States. And then we know that they made $500 billion on the other drugs that they developed that happened to treat all of the uh, 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 bad outcomes that came from the vaccinations, mm-hmm, yeah. right? You know, all the autoimmune disease and yeah. things of that nature. Cancer. So, so it's not in the interest of the of big pharma to solve the problems that existed around autism and, and ADHD and cancer. all these and cancer and all these other diseases because it's that's an actual business model. Yeah, it perpetuates the chronic disease information, you know, the sick care, basically you call it sick care. And the market that you are creating, uh really the the revenue generation from the vaccination is a nice little icing on the cake, mm-hmm. but it's nothing compared to the 10 X they're making off of the other medications, of the other you know? So, so, and now we're in this different paradigm with COVID vaccination. Cause now, you know, here you've got a, uh, you know, what they're calling more of a ubiquitous vaccination. Right. And so we don't even know the long-term outputs of like, mm-hmm. what's going to happen from a heart perspective and mm-hmm. the treatments that are going to have to come out of this, you know, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, th- this ties in with what she's saying, because you've got the the money or the market makers that are actually creating the success criteria, creating the market. You're just a cog in the wheel. Okay. And so they're just trying to put you through a path. And that's where blockchain comes into it, because blockchain is like programmatic uh, mm-hmm. behavior, yeah. if you will. And so they're getting you... Real to, world workflows. Yes, real world workflows. Them digitally. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of so many ways to take this conversation, even just as we, you know, we're, we're just kind of going through this and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we've consumed quite a bit of content from Allison and we know it's, it's, it's a heady topic. There's a lot there, mm-hmm. but I mean, I a hundred percent think that it's worthwhile because... Yeah you need to know where you're being put into a mechanism, mm-hmm. right? You, you, cause a lot of times you think, Oh, okay, this is nice. This is technology. I, I, I walk into this, I use it to get some benefits, some value, mm-hmm. and that's why it exists. But really uh, what you see in many ways from technology these days is that there are actually two 
or actually I would say maybe even more, but there are at least two reasons. There's the implied value that the user is getting, Mm -hmm. and then there is the back-end value that is uh, generating an entire ecosystem or market for the manufacturers of that technology and the people who utilize it to create these markets and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very uh, aware that those things exist so that we can say, hey, look, we're opting in to participate in that or we're going to stay outside of the system. And I think that that comes back to the broader point where that's where we're at, right, is that Mm -hmm. we're going to have to develop this secondary uh, humanity. Yeah. Right? And that's that's the way to get out of this. We're going to have to choose, be conscious to be able to choose, okay, how do we want to live? Do we want to live in this uh, virtual prison, you know, to be able to participate in society and continue to be part of the system. And what what is this society? What does this society look like? Is it is it healthy? Does it inspire expansion? Does it help humans thrive? Mm -hmm. You know? Help them use their creativity. Does it inspire happiness and are we there already where we live these lives where we continue to you know do our nine to five every day you know just to uh so on the weekends we can go to the mall or go to you know get our shopping done i mean get our christmas shopping done i mean what is what is all this convenience really supporting and what is it producing? What is the outcome of it? Is mm-hmm. it a health? Is it a happier, a healthier, more fulfilling life or is it just like the, the rat race where we're just stuck in it and we're not really meeting each other? We're not really hugging each other. We're not really going out into nature. We're stuck at home watching TVs, you know, what do we really want for our future? Do we want to continue to build this, these, these prisons, right? Support the system. I mean, COVID is just a symptom of the, of the, 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 the mental state of humanity. Yeah. So what do we want to create from this? So even though this information is kind of, it's scary, Right, and it's like, what do you do? I mean, it seemed like you're you're trapped already. You know, what are you gonna do? It's just for you to start thinking. Okay, what do we do? You really want for the future of humanity and our children, our grandchildren, and this beautiful planet? What do we want to create from from this? Do we want to fork off? Well, and, and I think it's a great point, and and uh, it's one of those things where y- you may still. You may look at it, you may say, oh, okay, look, um, I think I understand it, and I like it for X, Y, Z reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not our job to tell somebody that you know they don't want to uh, play in that system. We, we know we don't want to play in that system because we have you know, been blessed over and over again, you know, getting back to more natural roots and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so we know that's more the direction that we want to go. I mean, I, I, I don't think that anybody would think that we are people, you know, we want to be, uh, uh, you know, walking around in clothes that we made and things of that nature. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, that, that's not what we're trying to say. Um, but, 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 but I mean, there is a lot of stuff that, you know, like we've talked about just as far as skills and, you know, just being able to interact with the world around you that, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't trained in any of that. No, you know, we and, are not trained into what it's like to just live off the earth. Yeah, yeah, just to, just to um, really take care of yourself at that basic level, and you know, some, to something that you said earlier. You know, what do we want from all this? You know, do we want to be owned by these things? Mm-hmm. You know, these conveniences mm-hmm. and these products and these brands and 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 this. Um, you know, societal uh, understanding that this is just what you consume and 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 what you participate in, or do we want something different where you know we can have 
really thoughtful conversations with individuals and have community and, uh, you know, just really expand our consciousness from that perspective. I mean, it, it's it's hard. It's not easy, mm-hmm. yeah. right? It, it's difficult. I mean, just this weekend, well, remember, I wanted a Chipotle so bad. <laughs> I mean, I was like driving all around trying to find a Chipotle. We thought we found one and they hadn't built it yet. And I was so pissed, you know, and it's just like, but but then I think, but, but I think in that moment, you know what I mean? I, I was like, Man, why did why am I so why do I want a Chipotle that bad? You know what I mean? I haven't had a Chipotle. I couldn't even tell you last time I had a Chipotle, but I was just like, man, I want a fucking Chipotle. You know what I mean? And so it it's just interesting, and I think that that it, it just uh, cued me into you know, okay, well, what's really important? Because then what do we do? We turned around, we went to dinner with some friends, mm-hmm. you know, at a place never heard of, you know, yeah. and, and and I don't even think the food food wasn't that great. You know what I mean? It, but but it, that wasn't what it was about. It, it was, was about being together. It, it was about being together, you know, and, and and that was what was fun. I mean, I'd totally forgotten about Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Amazing. So, all right, well, I think we're probably, uh, that's probably good for today's yes. episode. We're a little over an hour. So here, let me uh, go ahead and interlude us out. Uh it's another episode of the Collective Resistance Podcast with Leo and Fabi. Fabi, what do you want to tell everybody? Hey, everybody. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay curious. Woo! 